you need compelling faith so that you can see beyond the immediate risk and danger. Faith is what helps you to see beyond the risk. Faith is what helps you to see beyond the danger. And because Joshua was able to see the invisible and believe God for the impossible, you know what God did. Here's a, here's a word for somebody. Here's some elevation for revelation. You don't get promoted based on who you can kiss up to. You don't get promoted based on who you're friends with. You don't get promoted based on who you know. You don't get promoted trying to get close to folk that you think can take you somewhere and they don't know where they're going. You get promoted by having faith in a God who does the impossible. I wish I had somebody that could give God some praise. Some of you know you got promoted in spite of the fact that folk tried to block it and stop it. They tried to run interference, but you ought to shout in the sanctuary that you got promoted because of your faith in God. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Come and join us in the sanctuary as we listen in on a dynamic word from our senior pastor, Dr. Gina M. Stewart forever as you take your seat shout my title to your neighbor tell them clear the land for yourselves look on the other side and say clear the land for yourselves look behind you and tell them they're stronger than you they have iron chariots but you can drive them out if you believe it put your hands together and give God some praise the book of Joshua marks a turning point in the narrative of the Old Testament. It recounts the transition of landless, wandering nomads, if you will, into a landed people of Israel. In the process, it depicts a glorious entry into the promised land with virtually unhindered conquest of vast portions of leadership or vast portions of land under the leadership of Joshua. Somebody shout Joshua. Moses, who was the faithful servant of God, has now died, and the baton of leadership has been passed on to Joshua, his faithful lieutenant who served him behind the scenes for 40 years. And even though changes in leadership can often create a leadership vacuum or a leadership crisis, this was not the case for Israel. The transfer of leadership to Joshua as Moses' successor was a seamless, swift, and smooth transition. Joshua basically for 40 years lived as a hidden figure. Nobody really heard much about Joshua. He was only mentioned on rare occasions, but he was a fitting successor to Moses. He had faithfully served Moses in the hidden years of his life. His character had been tested. If I had time, I'd talk to you about serving God during your hidden years. If I had time, I'd talk to you about what it means to be loyal to God before anybody knows your name. If I had time, I'd talk to you about what it means to be faithful and to be committed and to follow through and to keep your word and to have character when nobody knows who you are. Moses had Joshua as his faithful lieutenant, but nobody really knew who Joshua was. But God knew where he was. Look at somebody say, God knows who you are, and he knows where to find you. You don't have to worry about anybody else knowing who you are or what you do, because if God has his hand on you, if God has an assignment for you, when it's time for you to transition, no devil in hell can stop it. 
Y'all ain't talking to me. And no angel in heaven will try. Moses had served the nation of Israel for 40 years, and Joshua had an impressive track record of service. He had watched Moses. He had observed Moses. He had listened to the stubborn, complaining folk, the Hebrews, as they crossed the desert. He was with Moses when they fought the battle at Amalek, and he assisted Moses when they were defeating the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 16. Joshua had great courage. He was virtually unknown, but he had vision. He was one of the 12 spies. This is probably one of the stories that we know him so well that uh, from the 12 spies in the story of Numbers, when they went to investigate the land of Canaan, Joshua was in that leadership group of 12 spies, and 10 of them saw giants and brought back an evil report. And up to the point where they see the giants, Joshua and Caleb were basically invisible. They were invisible in the biblical narrative. They didn't have major assignments. But at this moment, they do something that's incredibly brave. They stand up against the prevailing evil report of the ten spies. And when the ten spies only saw giants, Jacob and Joshua and Caleb saw grapes and milk and honey. Can you just nudge somebody say vision makes a difference? I tell you, some people can see uh, some glass and some broken dreams, and other people can see playgrounds. Uh, the way you see things makes a difference. Vision really does matter. Joshua and Caleb had a vision, and they proclaimed what they understood to be God's truth. They didn't have a lot of military might. They didn't have a grand plan for a military takeover. They didn't even really have a vision of their own. The only vision they had was built on the memory of what God had already done. Can I park right there and say sometimes the only vision you need is the memory of what God has already done in your life. I thought I'd get a few more amens than that because there are some of us in here this morning, we're not sure where we're going, we're not sure where God is taking us, but the only vision that we have is the past memory of what God has already done in our life. Can you thank God for the past memory? of what he's already done. Can you thank him for the door he opened the last time, for the way that he's already made, for the door that he's already opened, for, the, for, the, for every mountain that he brought you over? Somebody clap your hands and give God praise for the vision based on past memory. That he got a mighty good track record. Y'all sitting here looking at me funny, but I'm telling you, every now and then when you're not sure, God help me, about what God is up to or about where God is taking you, you need to press rewind. And you need to look back over your shoulder and shout off of your memory. Look at somebody say, this shout ain't about what God's getting ready to do right now. I'm shouting over my memory. I'm shouting about the doors he's already opened. I'm shouting. God help me about the way that he already made. I'm shouting about the healing that has already come. I'm shouting for the deliverance that I've already seen. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise for memory. Sometimes you got to shout off the memory of what God has already done. Caleb and Joshua didn't have a plan, but they had memory. 
They remembered that God had fed them with manna from heaven and quail from heaven. They remembered the ten plagues. They remembered how God paved a highway through the river and let them cross over the Red Sea without a bulldozer, without any construction crew. And they were convinced that if God took care of them back then, God, I wish I had some help. That God took care of them back then. God's going to take care of them right now. Can you preach to your neighbor and say you can shut off your memory, but your memory ought to convince you and encourage you that if God did it before, God can do it again. If he made a way last year, he'll do it again. If he delivered you in 2007, I can't get no help in here. He will do it again. Look at somebody say, I'm shouting off memory and I'm shouting off track record. Oh, I ain't got no blueprint of how God is going to make it happen. But what I do have is a track record. I got the proof that God has made a way before. And if he did it, what? Don't make me holler too soon. He'll do it again. Come on, high five somebody say he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. They had compelling faith. I said you need compelling faith so that you can see beyond the immediate risk and danger. Faith is what helps you to see beyond the risk. Faith is what helps you to see beyond the danger. And because Joshua was able to see the invisible and believe God for the impossible, you know what God did. Here's a, here's a word for somebody. Here's some elevation for revelation. You don't get promoted based on who you can kiss up to. You don't get promoted based on who you're friends with. You don't get promoted based on who you know. You don't get promoted trying to get close to folk that you think can take you somewhere and they don't know where they're going. You get promoted by having faith in a God who does the impossible. I wish I had somebody that could give God some praise. Some of you know you got promoted in spite of the fact that folk tried to block it and stop it. They tried to run interference, but you ought to shout in the sanctuary that you got promoted because of your faith in God. Because Joshua had faith to see the invisible and believe God for the impossible. Here it is. He inherited the role of leader. God, I wish I had time to talk about how we in places we ain't supposed to be. Look at your neighbor and say, can I shout now or do I have to wait? Come on, sometimes you can be in a role for so long you forget you ain't supposed to have the job. You forget that you was not the one. You forget you were the least likely. You forget that you didn't fit the profile. You forget that everybody tried their best to ensure that God didn't, that you didn't get the promotion, but you got it and you've held on to it and no weapon has, that has formed, been formed against you shall prosper or has prospered. Somebody ought to thank God that you've been in it so long you've forgotten that it was a miracle. God made a miracle happen. Pull some strings to see to it that you would be where you are right now clap your hands and give God some glory here it is Joshua is 80 years old don't miss this look at somebody say you ain't never too old Sometimes we think when you reach a certain age, the statute of limitations has passed. But I've come to tell you that Joshua is 80 years old. And this is good for somebody. This is a word for somebody because some of us have lost time. Some of us have lost time because we were foolish. Some of us have lost time because we just weren't paying attention. Some of us have lost time because we didn't necessarily know God and didn't realize that God had a plan for our lives. But somebody needs to know that based on the fact that Joshua is 80 years old, when he assumes the role of leading the nation into Canaan. He is advanced in years, but he's ready to lead the people in conquest because he has a steadfast hope in God. He's given the privilege of leading the people into the promised land. 
This is where we are now in today's text. They have, uh, after the conquest, the children of Israel are now ready to cease their wanderings in the wilderness. They're ready to settle in to the promised land. Joshua has the assignment of dividing the territory. They are now in the promised land. They're getting ready to split up the land. Okay, I'm trying to paint the picture. The allotment proceeded without difficulty, and Joshua got to, until Joshua got to Ephraim and Manasseh. You know, ain't nothing going to go smooth without somebody saying something. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I said nothing is going to go off without a hitch, without somebody saying something. The allotment went smooth until they got to Ephraim and Manasseh. Somebody said Ephraim and Manasseh. Some people say Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, who was Ephraim or Ephraim and Manasseh? Now, they really weren't Jacob's children. I want you to get this history. They were the children of Joseph and Esenath who was his wife that he married while he was in Egypt. Stay with me. You remember that when Joseph was sold into slavery and he went through all these challenges and he eventually was promoted to be second in charge to Pharaoh and while he was there he lived in Egypt because he was the head Negro in charge and while he was there he met a black woman. Notice now he in Egypt. Ain't nothing white in Egypt. I'm trying to help y'all during Black History Month. His wife, y'all ain't talking to me, but I'm going to go on and preach to myself. Look at somebody said, Egypt got black folk in it. Egypt has dark-skinned folk in it. Egypt has people who are twice kissed by nature's son. So here it is, Joseph's two boys that were adopted by Jacob and grafted into the 12 tribes of Israel actually were not necessarily of a lighter hue, but they are Egyptian origin because their mama was black. Come on here. And somebody knows that if if it's any black in your blood, come on, it's a little bit of black in you. I wish somebody could go on and clap your hands and give God some praise that there's some black lineage in the 12 tribes of Israel. They are the two sons that were adopted by Jacob that Joseph had married Asenath while he was in Egypt and these children were born. Jacob adopted them and gave them a share. God, that's a good place to shout. In the inheritance. Can you tap somebody say, I can shout right here. Uh, because folk keep telling us we don't have any history in the Bible. People keep telling us there's no African presence in the Bible. But somebody needs to know that this is a good place for you to shout because we got some ancestors that were born in Egypt that were grafted into the family line and we have a share in their inheritance. If you don't understand it, just clap anyhow. Just clap because you're glad about it. Just clap because pastor said it. You'll get it when you get home. Just clap your hands and give God some praise that we have a share in the inheritance. If you understand geography, you know that Egypt is in northern Africa, which means that Ephraim and Manasseh are Afro-Asiatic people. And not only that, according to Judges chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, and 12, verse 1 through 6, it is said that the Ephraimites were notorious complainers. You know, you're going to always have some complainers. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go. I don't care what God has done. There's going to always be somebody that's got a reason to complain. And this text is no exception. It does not come as a surprise then that when they got ready to receive their inheritance, stay with me, I'm headed somewhere, the 
descendants of Joseph, the descendants of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, said their portion was too small. It's in the text. The children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing that we are a numerous people? The King James Version says, We are a great people, for as much as the Lord has blessed us hitherto, they make the claim that because of their size, they were a great people. They were great in size. They were great in numbers. They had the numbers going for them. And because of their lineage and their history, coupled with the fact that they have a relationship with God, they felt a little bit of a sense of entitlement. They felt like they needed a larger share of land because of the size of their tribe. And they argued that because of their large numbers, they deserved a larger portion. Well, it was a logical argument. Somebody said it was logical. It made plenty of sense. Me, we would have thought that possibly Joshua would have agreed with them. But according to the text, Joshua was not moved by their argument. Joshua came back and said to them, uh, if you are a great people, if you're so numerous, then go up into the hill country and cut down some trees and clear the land for yourself. And they came back and said, yeah, we great, but look at here, look at here. The Perizzites and the Canaanites are in the land, and they have weapons, and they have chariots, and there are giants in the hill country. And then Joshua says to them, but if you are great people, if you such a numerous people, then go up against them and fight them and fight the giants. Can I back up here and put a pen right here and say that I believe what Joshua said to the children of Israel is appropriate for where we are experiencing right now. I believe that this is a fitting word for black history celebration. If we are so numerous, since we are a great people, go up in the hill country and clear the land for yourself. Can you just preach to somebody and say every now and then, you got to clear the land for yourself. Every now and then you got to realize Superman ain't coming. Every now and then you got to realize that don't nobody owe you everything just because you breathing. Every now and then you got to put some elbow grease on your elbows and you got to get up and clear the land yourself. If you are a great people, then clear the land for yourself. Can I tell you why I'm preaching this? Because in this age, this climate that we are living in, where we are witnessing a rise in white supremacy, a resurgence of the KKK. They ain't even shame no more. They done almost come out their robes. They done almost took the hoods off their heads. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I came to tell somebody this morning that this is a fitting word for the climate in which we're living in. They're no longer ashamed to say things about us that are offensive. They're no longer embarrassed about the things that they say about it. They are no longer embarrassed about blackface. Y'all ain't saying nothing. In this climate of uncertainty and insanity, we must reclaim the narrative that not only about who we are, but whose we are. And we must claim our rightful inheritance in God in the world. If thou be a great people, if you such a numerous people, if you a great person, if you be a great church, if you be a great preacher, if you be a great husband, if you be a great wife, if you be a great student, if you be a great family, if you be a great community, if you be a, a great city, the challenge of the hill country awaits you. And I know that for some of us, you're looking at me saying, yeah, but you don't know how hard it is. Some of you looking at me saying, yeah, but small beginnings don't always end up 
becoming large. And I've come to tell somebody today that the day of small beginnings, the Bible said we ought not despise it. That small beginnings often come with hard work and little help. Small beginnings usually offer tall resistance and modest encouragement. Small beginnings typically see limited budgets and abundant setbacks. But can I tell you that small beginnings don't necessarily mean you got to stay small. Look at somebody say just because you start small doesn't mean you have to stay small. Okay, I see y'all ain't getting it. Let me put it this Can I give you the Pastor Stewart remix? Another way to say it is deficits don't determine destiny. Okay, let me come back and get you. I said deficits don't determine destiny. Be clear that I didn't say deficits don't affect us. I'm not suggesting that deficits still don't threaten to undermine us. If you black, you know about deficits. If you black and you live in America, you know about deficits. Almost every black person in America has experienced the sting of disrespect on the basis of being black. A large but undetermined number of black people feel acutely disrespected every day of our lives. You can get arrested for being at a swimming pool party. You can get arrested for selling cigarettes. You can get arrested for driving while black. Not only can you get arrested, but you can be shot while running away from the police. Some of us know what it's like to be disrespected in America. We see discrimination. We see it in the subtle ways and the explicit ways. We know everyday racism. We know what it is to see racism incorporated into structures to undermine our upward mobility. We see how they legalize mass discrimination and legalize mass incarceration. And we know what it's like to start off behind what Dr. Sam Proctor would call the scratch line. We also know that in many instances, some of us have inherited deficits that we didn't deserve, just like some people have inherited benefits that they didn't deserve. Some of us know that because of structural inequality, structural inequality where a group of people are attributed an unequal status from the beginning on the basis of their category means that some of us start out behind the stretch, the scratch line. It's like trying to run a race and holding one leg behind your back. It's like trying to stand up to see a fence and everybody else is six feet tall and you four foot one. I come to tell you, I'm not suggesting that deficits don't affect us. But what I did say is that deficits don't have to determine our destiny. Can I let that sink for just a second? I thought somebody would give God some praise because you have, you cannot settle on the fact that just because I have a disadvantage doesn't mean that I can't succeed. Okay, I see. I see. I see. Okay. Let me see if I can get some folk to testify. Come here, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey will tell you that he went from being literally rags to riches, living in his car to living in luxury. Left his day job to pursue his dream, and now he's probably one of the most, uh, most financially stable comedians that we've ever seen. But if he had listened to his deficits, he never would have pursued his dream. Come here, Tyler Perry. Come on and testify. Tyler Perry grew out of a troubled home in a poor neighborhood in New Orleans, Louisiana. Used to work as a bill collector. Somebody shout a bill collector. 
eventually scraped together enough money to rent a small theater and a stage play. Only 30 people were initially in the audience. Somebody shout 30 people. Just 30 people. This is why you can't count numbers. God makes numbers count. Some of us get discouraged because of the numbers, but baby, you got to keep on pushing. Even though you don't see the numbers that you want, you got to understand that God doesn't count numbers, but God makes numbers count. He had 30 people in the audience. The play was a flop, and for the next several years, he struggled. He was often broke, and sometimes he lived in his car. Oh, but we can look at him now and see that Tyler Perry and got rich off of my deal. It's, I'm so glad that my deficits don't determine my destiny. Okay, y'all still ain't getting it. Oprah Winfrey. She wasn't always on television. She wasn't always the star of daytime drama. She didn't always own own TV. She was born in Mississippi. She was the daughter of a teenage mother. She had a baby at 14. She lived off potato sack dresses. She lost the baby shortly after and began to change her life around. She is now one of the richest women in the world, rising from poverty to billionaire status. Your deficits don't have to determine your destiny. Come here, Halle Berry, and testify. She ain't just a pretty face. Somebody needs to know that Halle Berry grew up with a single mother in Ohio. She moved to New York City in 1989 to pursue modeling, but before she struck it big, she ran out of money. She had to live in a homeless shelter. A homeless shelter? Halle Berry in a homeless shelter? She got her first role later that year, and now we know that she is a Hollywood star. Okay, I see. That didn't excite you. Viola Davis. She went from a young girl wondering if her next meal was going, where her next meal was going to come from. Her family found themselves living in rat infested apartments, struggling to make ends meet, but she overcame her obstacles. And now, come on here, Murder She Wrote fans. She is an award winning actress. Somebody shout, deficits don't determine my destiny. Come here, Jay Z. I had to help out the millennials. Come here, Jay Z. He has not always been the big music producer and rapper that he is today. Before he became a producer, he was living in the projects in Brooklyn, New York. Like most struggling families, he had an absentee father. He was raised by his mother to help make ends meet. He started selling drugs. He began rapping after his mother brought him a boom box and the rest is history. He is one of the richest entertainers and rappers in the world. Somebody clap your hands and shout deficits don't determine my destiny. But I don't have to tell you about Tyler. I don't have to tell you about Oprah. I don't have to tell you about Viola. I don't even have to tell you about Jay-Z. Some of you in this room have your own story to tell if we tell the truth and shame the devil. We ain't always live where we live. Haven't always driven where we drive. Y'all looking at me funny. Haven't always had what we had. Couldn't shop where we wanted. Come on here. We either from South Memphis or from North Memphis. Come on, South Memphis, let me hear you holler. Come on here. North Memphis, let me hear you holler. Come on here, Klondike. Come on here, Foot Homes. Come on here, Lamoine Gardens. I need somebody to give God some praise because you found out that it's not where you start, but it's where you end up. Can you clap your hands and throw your head back and say, my deficits? Don't determine my destiny. Tiffany Haddish is 39 years old. Mahershala Ali is 43. Toni Morrison didn't write her first novel and she, until she was 39. Oprah was fired when she was 23. Find three people, tell them you still got time. <laughs> 
Come on, tell them, I don't care how old you are, you still got time. Come on, y'all looking at me funny. High five three people, tell them, you still got time. It ain't over until God says it's over. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter how old you are. If God be for you, he is more than the world against you because deficits don't determine my destiny in spite of my ACT, in spite of my SAT, in spite of my financial aid, in spite of the fact that I don't have everything going for me, in spite of the neighborhood that I grew up in, somebody can shout that your deficits did not determine your destiny if thou be a great people. Ephraim and Manassas were protesting. They said we can't, come, we can't take it because there's too many trees up there. It's in the text. But Joshua told them, don't complain about the trees. And you tell somebody, tell them, stop complaining about these trees. These trees will bless you. Come on. T tell somebody, stop complaining about the trees. Uh, tell somebody, there's a chair in a tree. Y'all ain't saying that. There's a table in a tree. Come on here. There's a bedroom suit in a tree. I don't, there's some benches in a tree. There's a pulpit in a tree. I don't hear nobody talking. I tell you, there's some stuff in a tree. Ephraim and Manassas were complaining about the tree, but because to get to the Country, they had to cut down the trees. You see, they really didn't know what they had. They had more than they thought they had, but they couldn't see it. Woo, this is good preaching. Because they couldn't see the forest for the trees. Every now and then, you got to cut down some trees. God help me. So you can see just how much you got. I wish I had somebody in here that could praise God for your trees. Come on, tell him thank you for your dogwoods. Come on, tell him thank you for your magnolias. Come on, tell him thank you for every tree that you got to cut down. Because in other words, what Joshua is saying to them is that even though you can't see the forest for the trees, if you get in there and you cut them trees down, you'll discover you got more than the rest of the folk. But because you got, God help me, because you got trees, you miss out on the bigger picture shake somebody's hand and tell them clear the land for yourself but they didn't understand Joshua's rebuke as I heard it to a close they said the hill country is not enough for us the Canaanites live in there they said the giants are over there and they have settlements and they're in the valley of Jezreel in other words they said we know we got the numbers we know we got the size but we ain't strong enough they wanted the land already cleared. Can I tell you, touch somebody says, sometimes you got to work. Every now and then you got to work. Ain't nobody finna give you nothing. There are folk that think people owe them something because they breathe. And I know you're getting you to get swole up. But snatch somebody's hand and say, sometimes you got to work. The Bible said if a man don't work, he ought not eat. And as long as your ten fingers are working and your ten toes are working and your mind is working and you ain't getting no check on the first or the 15th of the month, I don't hear nobody saying something. Sometimes you got to work. Come on, somebody shout work. Work. Ain't nothing wrong with it working. And every now and then you got to do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. Can I tell you that I used to tote urine in a doctor's office. Oh, that, that was a day before I was a pastor. Before I graduated from college, I was pulling files in Dr. Phelps' office, down on my knees, eating ham sandwiches for lunch, toting urine to the lab. Oh, but thanks be to God that it ain't where you start, it's where you end up. Look at somebody say, every now and then you got to work. You might have to work at 7-Eleven. You might have to work at McDonald's. You might have to flip some burgers. You might have to pump some gas, but high five somebody and tell them you got to work for it. Oh, ain't nobody owe you nothing because you're black. We don't owe you nothing because you're breathing. We don't owe you nothing because you're a woman. We don't owe you nothing because you've had struggles. If our ancestors could do it, if our ancestors could overcome, if our ancestors could build colleges and hospitals and schools and savings and loans, what can God do with
with us. Clap your hands and throw your head back and say, sometimes you got to work. In other words, what God was suggesting, what Joshua is suggesting to them is that their argument did not land. It failed because they just wanted the land already cleared. <sighs> Look at somebody that says, sometimes you got to work for this land. Sometimes you got to clear this land yourself. Joshua said to them, if you be a great people, if you are so numerous, then go up against the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the giants. He's telling them that they will defeat the Canaanites despite the power of the enemy. In other words, what Joshua is telling them is that you got a promise of victory, but every now and then the promise has a fight attached to it. I wish I had some people in here that know that every now and then you got a fight. You can't roll over and play dead. You can't assume that because it's hard that it can't be done. Tell somebody you have to fight for what's yours and this is not a physical fight sometimes it's a mental fight sometimes it's a psychological fight I wish I had some people in here that know that you had to fight your way through some things you had to fight yourself to victory you had to fight past feelings of low self-esteem you had to fight past rejection you had to fight past feelings of being inadequate you had to fight past feeling like you weren't good enough you had to fight past your past and your upbringing and your pedigree somebody knows that every now and then you have to fight for what you have been promised and I believe that Joshua's words are appropriate for us today that if we're going to be a great people we have to go up into the hill country and clear the land for ourselves in spite of Trump, in spite of McConnell in spite of Nancy, in spite of the Congress, in spite of the Senate, we got to clear the land for ourselves. Can I tell you why? Because if our grandparents could do it, if our ancestors could do it if they could clear the land and build colleges and schools and hospitals and insurance companies and savings and loans what will God do with us some of us make more money in a month than some of our ancestors made in a year can you shake somebody's hand and tell them you ain't powerless you have power to tread on serpents you have the power of God that is on the inside of you and as uncertain as these times are with discrimination with record unemployment with a dysfunctional Congress, with income equality, we must recognize who we are. We must recognize that we still have a great inheritance. We must recognize that we belong to God and that the challenge of the hill country awaits us. And I would be remiss if I did not say to you today that the hill country is rough. Look at somebody that says rough in the hill country. The Perizzites and the Canaanites are in the hill country. That's why folk don't want to go to the hill country. Because the Perizzites, our enemies, are in the hill country. They have their weapons of iron and their chariots. People who don't want us to be free are in the hill country. People who don't want us to succeed are in the hill country. People who don't want us to flourish are in the hill country. People who think they're better than us are in the hill country. People with privilege are in the hill country. People who resent our success are in the hill country. People who oppose God's plan for our lives are in the hill country. Dream killers are in the hill country. Racism is in the hill country. Sexism is in the hill country. Classism that impedes our progress is in the hill country. There are all kinds of challenges. There are obstacles and people in the hill country. They'll tell you that your dream is too big. They'll tell you that your dream is too ambitious. They'll tell you that ain't nobody in your family ever done it. And so ain't no need in you even thinking about it. They'll tell you that people that have dreamt what you dream have all fallen on their face. They'll tell you about all 
all the stories of people that tried what you tried and they did not make it. They'll tell you that it can't be done. They'll stand in opposition to your dreams and your vision. They have iron and chariots and connection and money and influence and methods and mean. But can I get some witnesses in here who know who you belong to, who know who you are and whose you are, that despite a legacy of slavery, despite Jim Crow, despite segregation, despite dehumanization, despite discrimination, we are a great people. We are the descendants of kings and queens. We are inventors and innovators and dreamers and God is still doing great things through African American people. Opening up schools in Africa, in Akron, Ohio with LeBron James who's opening up a promise school to give children a chance that he did not have. Like folk like Oprah. Opening up schools in our South Africa to give girls a chance that she didn't have. Like people in our own lives who are doing things and have helped us to cross the, cross the, ch the challenges so that we could have a better life. Is there anybody in here today that knows that we can still do great things because we serve a great big God? And that's a good place for you to give God some praise. Look at somebody say, I'm a great people because I serve a great big God. I serve the God of the universe. I serve the God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than I can ask, think, or imagine according to the power that's at work in us. I serve a God who is able to keep me from stumbling and to present me faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. I serve a great big God. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. I can do what God says I can do and I can have what God says I can have. If I were to borrow the words of my good friend Dr. Carolyn Ann Knight she said they gave us sorrow and we gave them songs they gave us straw and we gave them bricks they gave us seed and we gave them cotton they gave us trouble and we turned it into a testimony they gave us pain and we wrote poems they gave us segregation we built Spellman. they gave us hell and we built Howard they gave us misery and we built Morehouse they gave us terror and we built Tuskegee they gave us failure and we built Fisk can you shake somebody's hand and tell them we are a great people we serve a great God we have a great history we got a great heritage and now we are the children of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be but when God gets through with us I wish I had a praise in church we're coming forth like pure gold can you shake that hand and tell them this shout is because I'm a chosen people I'm a chosen generation I'm a royal priesthood whom God has called out of darkness and into the marvelous light and I hear Jesus saying who is the author and the finisher of our faith shake that hand and tell somebody you are a great people you are a great nation you can do anything you can do what God says you can have what God says that you can have I hear Jesus saying behold I give you power shake that hand tell him I got power not just for a shout but I got power to start a business I got power 
to open a school. I got power to follow through on my dreams. I got power. Has thou not known? Has thou not heard? Can I preach it like I feel it? That the maker, the creator, the everlasting God, neither faints nor gets weary. Shake that hand. Tell him you may be tired, but God never gets weary. He gives power. I wish I had some help. Come on, preach like you feel it. He gives power. Come on, help me preach it. He gives power to the faint and to those that have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall stumble and fall. But they that wait, I said they that wait on the Lord shall, wish I had some help, shall renew their strength. Grab that hand. Say, I feel strength coming. Grab that hand and shake it and rock it. Tell them I got strength. I got power to tread on serpents. Power to cast out devils. Power over every attack of the enemy. Shout, yeah, yeah. Grab your neighbor. Tell them this shout is on for memory. I look back over my life and I see where God has brought me from. And if he did it once, oh shucks here, he will do it again. Grab that hand, preach to your neighbor, shake it and rock it. Say, God, gonna do it again. God will make a way again. God will heal again. God will deliver again. God will save again. God will make a way again. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, it won't burn you. When you go through the river, you ain't gonna drown. Cause I am the Lord your God. Shout it yeah, yeah, yeah. High five somebody. Tell them hello, great people. High five somebody. Say hello, entrepreneur. High five somebody. Say hello, business owner. High five somebody. Say hello, college graduate. High five somebody. Say hello, airplane pilot. High five somebody. Say hello, president. Hello, senator. Thank you for joining our podcast. We pray that you were tremendously blessed by the word. 